Today's show is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com. The men's accessories marketplace. Head on over to CuffLinks.com slash DVR today and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order. They've got tons of stuff over there, whether it's gift set boxes. They've got Marvel ones. I'm looking right now. Captain America Shields, baby. They have style from a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars, Game of Thrones, any of the geeky stuff, and of course, the classic styles that you've grown to love. Go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back to Daily DVR. You can find out more about our all our podcasts, all our podcasts. That's a good one there. Covering shows like Game of Thrones, Loki, Mindhunter, and much more at DVRpodcast.com. Of course, please do take a moment to consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash DVR, where we have hundreds of exclusive podcasts available for as little as dollar a month. We lost a patron last month, Ben Davies, longtime patron, Game of Thrones fan. I'm not calling you out, Ben, because you left. I'm calling you out because thank you. Uh, I appreciate every time someone becomes a patron, even if it's just for a month. If you leave, there's no reason to explain. It's not, you know, I appreciate the support and I wanted to say thank you to Ben because as he goes out, I realize, hey, maybe I didn't always take the time enough to mention you, Ben, and thank you for your support. And you're welcome back, of course, anytime. And we will be covering all the new Game of Thrones shows as they come out. Probably by the end of it, HBO is just going to have a, a, a Game of Thrones channel. There'll be like 50 different shows, Jon Snow doing something or whatever. They'll, everybody's going to come back. So we'll do all that shit. But today we're here to talk about something totally different, something that I've never talked about on the podcast before, and we're taking a little bit of a right turn, and we're going to be talking about Formula One racing with my most excellent guest from the Grand Prix podcast, people who you probably are familiar from a bunch of other podcasts, and they've talked about a bunch of other TV shows and so many, we've all done so many pods, but it's Elton and Andy. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, sir. And and yes, uh, we not only go to the right, we go to the left as well, because in Formula One, we can turn in both directions. Yeah, exciting. Elton, how are you? I'm I'm good, man. Thank you very much for inviting us on. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege, so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. This is, um, this is a fun one, and normally I am a little bit more at ease, but I do have to say there's a slight bit of nervousness and trepidation and interest that I have because these guys have been kind enough to come on the podcast basically just to kind of answer a bunch of questions about Formula One that I have. I've recently gotten into it. I've been watching a bunch of races. I got the F1 channel, which I'm going to talk about. Of course, I watch the Netflix show, but I don't really, we don't really even need to talk about that show because I know like it would be kind of like talking about some NFL network show. We all, we know that there's a lot of differences and, and on your podcast, the Grand Prix podcast and on your deck chairs and dirty air, the Patreon exclusive podcast that you do, 
mm-hmm. you've talked about uh, the Netflix show and the differences and how they've changed things. So we don't need to get into that. Um, but I do have a bunch of questions because the one thing that I do feel that show doesn't do is just give you a primer and answer questions. And it's hard to kind of when you're getting into something new, like if someone yep. was first getting into the NFL, it's there's so many rules. So you guys have been kind enough to do it. I appreciate your patience uh, going forward and the patience in the audience. But before I get to my questions, I would like to hear from you guys. And obviously, you are big fans. You have been, I would think, for a long time. And I'd like to hear kind of your origin story with Formula One. So we're going to start with Elton. Welcome to the show, Elton. And let's hear, how did you get into Formula One? What does it mean to you? Why do you like it? I just kind of want to hear you talk about that. No worries. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you very much. Um, I can hear not nervousness in your voice, but it's 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 a different tone. I've been listening to you for God over a decade now. That's scary, jeez. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, this is a, a different approach for you, isn't it? Where you 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 not quite over. Normally you're you're very up up to date with absolutely everything, and yes. this is something that you're you're really treading into with uh, exactly. kiddie feet and yeah. like oh is this water hot is this water cold I'm not too sure but uh, yeah thank you very much and I'm looking forward to this um, also can I just right. add if you're worried about saying something embarrassing in front of us don't because as we <laughs> say at the beginning of every episode we're two idiots okay yep well you certainly don't sound like idiots that's the thing because even it's funny like I've been now um, watching Formula One for maybe like, I don't know, like two months, okay? Not even that long, right? I think I sent you guys a message two or three months ago or something, and I got more into it, and I watched, even watching all the races from this season to try to understand better where we're at in this season. But yeah. even like the names, like literally, I have never said out loud, Lewis Hamilton. Like I've never said that out loud. And as a podcaster, when I'm always talking about TV shows, like I talk about that with everybody, but I don't really have anybody to talk about with this. So when I'm sitting there watching it and the words and the names and even like um, – pit stop or you know like when i say these words i'm like that's so interesting i it's something that has gone on almost entirely in my mind so these are the first times you're saying these words yes, aren't they it's interesting right verstappen just a small correction a small correction there it's sir lewis hamilton ah lewis see hamilton. that's it <laughs> sir lewis Ham- that's right and i've been wanting to say verstappen on a podcast for verstappen. a very long time verstappen um, and my son thinks actually ah there you go let's see what my son my son kept on saying that's the one name is he keeps on saying dad botas butt ass oh there you go <laughs> well i like that He's dude not but, wrong. Well, that's a funny one all right so elton how did you start with formula one okay well i think it was it was always in the background with me my dad was always watching it 
uh, whenever it was on, on it, I think it, it started on BBC and was on there for like forever, for a long, long time. And it was always in the background and I would check in and start to learn names. Uh, I had a couple of friends at school and I'm talking primary school as well. I clearly remember going round to one of my uh, friends called Rodri and he taped the British Grand Prix, I think it was, at Brands Hatch. And he made me watch it. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to this. But I couldn't definitively tell you exactly when the bug bit. Uh, I think it was early 90s. I, As I said, it was always in the background. But something happened around the early 90s where I was just getting more and more into it. And I, yeah, I just started follow. I found myself following it more. I found myself sitting down in front of it and, okay, this is good, and recording it. And then I started filling up VHS tapes with it and then started buying magazines for it. And yeah. all of a sudden, I want to talk to my friends about it. And they're like, eh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that. I had one or two friends at school that would chat away with it, but not to the point of where I was wanting to chat with it as well just going over every single race uh, that i'd just seen um and then i, I would be re-watching all my vhs's so i would say early 90s that's when the bug bit and then from then on it's just a, a slow progression of it is my nerd thing that i go to people have tv shows people have other sports as well and i would say this is one of my big nerd things that has always been there in my life, really. And uh, it, it progressed, I, I think, when I um, progressed to the point where when I started podcasting, that was one of the first things I wanted to do. It was around 2008 when I, 2007 or 8, I started getting into podcasting. And it was, right, okay, I want to do a Formula One one, but I don't know anyone that likes Formula One as much as I do and wants to sit behind a microphone and talk about it. And so I, I think I wrote I, I had a little blog and I wrote about it and I was like, I'm going to do this show one day. I'm not too sure when, but I will do it one day. And time progressed and I think in 2013 I started the podcast and it just progressed from there. And... I think I, I absolutely adore this sport. It means so much to me. And then getting one of my best mates to come along and do an, uh, shows with me and talk about it, it's, it's the best thing. It's, it's, sometimes I enjoy doing that more than I actually enjoy watching the races because that is where I get a lot of fun for it. So, uh, yeah, there's my very condensed brief history but yeah it started around the 90s and progressed up to today building up throughout the years that's awesome dude and what let me ask what's the thing if you had to describe what attracts you to this sport what is it that you like about it so much what i like about it i i like the stuff you can't see I like that's I think that's what appeals to me more. There there's always been cases of no overtaking and stuff like that. It's always been like that whenever I've watched it. You've always had the fastest car. But when 
they make slight little changes and you read about it in a magazine. You're like, okay, that's going to do that. I wonder what that's going to do. And it's, it's exciting to me. It, that's the nerdy thing of, oh, they're bringing out this type of engine. You're never going to see it because they're, they're all uh, cloak and dagger with these sort of things. But it's interesting. I, I, I like rule changes. I like I like drivers. I like the, um, the, the pantomime opera of, oh, that's the bad guy and this is the good guy as well. I like the underdog story. You get so much trials and tribulations and it, there's there's tears of happiness and sometimes of sorrow as well and it it just brings it it, it's real life but in a fun way i I, yeah it's it's, it's like uh football soccer football type things you know you you can get passion about it one day you just find yourself really angry at something or really passionate about something and you don't know where that comes from and that's what this sport generates in me I like it. I like it. And when you started the podcast originally, you had a because I went back and went to the very beginning, and there was a different mm-hmm. host. And then Andy, you came on later. So, what's I don't even know the story. So, did you guys know each other as friends, or Andy had you listened to the podcast, or how did that work out? And what's your story, Andy, with uh, Formula One? Ah, well, the details of my life are quite inconsequential. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, where should we begin? Well, much like Elton, because I'm of a similar vintage, uh, I I first got into Formula One around the late 80s, early 90s, and again, through my parents more than anything else. I think what happened in the UK is in the early 90s, Nigel Mansell, who was a uh, a brummy Formula One driver with a magnificent moustache. You know, we're we're talking Tom Selleck levels of... uh, uh, coma here, who, who was uh, going around Formula One, he, he was in with a chance of winning the World Championship. So he was all over the news everywhere. So there was a lot of exposure. It was very big on BBC. Murray Walker was at the height of his powers. And that's when we kind of got into Formula One. And much like Elton, I got into it, fell in love with it and stuck with it. You know, other people kind of, they were there for 92 and then they just disappeared. Um I think one of the things which kind of tragically kind of uh, imprinted on me quite early on, though, was the death of Ayrton Senna in 94, because I was still quite young then. And he was someone, a, a sports celebrity that I felt I knew, I was familiar with, and who, if we're perfectly honest, had been the villain for a lot of it in this pantomime um, circus that is Formula One. And uh, he, he'd come over to Williams, which is, it was the good team. It was the hero team. It was the white horse team. And the Black Knight had come over to, to, to the good guys and then was tragically killed. And, and that really impacted on me. I remember that quite distinctly. But then I just kind of kept following it throughout the 90s onwards. And much like Elton, I, I loved the I loved every aspect of it. I, lo- I loved the technology. I loved watching cars go really fast. I loved the noise, the sound of them. Those screaming V12s and V10s. It was unlike anything else in the world. And I love the strategy sessions as well. Back in the day when you had the refueling as well, and it's like you could go longer without stopping for fuel, but your cars weighed more, so you were slower, or you could refuel more often. So your car would be quicker, but you got to stop more often. And then pit stops were much more open. There was none of this different tyre compounds. You just had sticky, sticky tyres. I mean, back when we were watching Formula One, the idea was you built a car which would go as fast as it possibly could, and in an ideal world, it would explode the second you'd cross the line and they'd just build a brand new car for the next session. 
it was incredibly wasteful, but it was exciting. And I loved all of that. And then, you know, as, as I grew up and, you know, continued to watch it, I followed it throughout the Schumacher era. And we had, you know, uh, Damon Hill, the plucky underdog Brit story there. Then you had um, the McLaren resurgence with David Coulthard and Mika Hakkinen. Uh, and then Kimi Raikkonen up against the evil Red Baron that was Michael Schumacher. And, you know, it's just kind of been continued along. And there was so much drama and, and so much excitement. And there was all of these things there. And I loved Formula One and no one else particularly liked it. But uh, I first encountered Mr. McManus through the Black Dog podcast. Uh, I think we'd met in person at a few of the shindigs. Mm-hmm. And I think we just talked because I was a lot more into MotoGP at the time. Uh uh, the motorbike racing because I had a motorbike, so you know I loved watching that as well. And we were just chatting and talking, and you were doing it with Chris at the time, I think. But Chris was much more into motorbike racing and not really into Formula One, and you were much more into Formula One and not into motorbike racing. Am I correct in that? My yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so and Chris kind of pulled out because of time restraints. Yeah, uh, and I. I I think you tried doing it on your own for a couple of years. You kind of like, I think in 2015, you did like the first two races back to back on your own. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And then yep. I think, it, I think it was at the shindig. You, you said to me, you said, would you be interested in doing um, the Grand Prix? I'd, I'd started doing space dot jury with Lee and Peter back at the time and just started getting into podcasting really. And you invited me to join you. And foolishly, I said, yes. And I've been the James May of the cast ever since. <laughs> that's awesome you know it's so funny as both of you are talking i had written down um in my notes what i was going to say after like why i like formula one right and i thought the things that i was writing down were going to be so unique and then they're the exact things that you said (laughs) so like the nerdiness the technology, the rules, the intricacy, and the debate about not only the rules, but the levels and ideas of sportsmanship, such as um, I passed a person in a not right way, so I'm going to let them pass me. Uh, what was that earlier this season, right? Who was it? Verstappen? Who did he let go in front of him? Was it, I can't. You probably remember better than I do. But he like passed on the outside and he went off the track, and then track limits. Yeah, he wasn't sure, but he he didn't hear. I guess or I think his people didn't tell him, but he was like, I knew I didn't do that right, so he let the dude pass him after. Just things like that. Um, for me, I've always been an NFL, a football fan. And, uh, and egg. what's that? And egg. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is what we were talking before. It's true. There's going to be no foot in football very soon. It is a hand egg. But um, the thing that I've always had to kind of explain is like I'm, I've, never re- I've never played football. And football is a brutal sport made up mostly of gentlemen who, dare I say, are not very subtle in their lives. (laughs) Like, you know, not perhaps one or two of them, we could have a chat with them. You know, Aaron Rodgers maybe will host Jeopardy, but that's not the norm for, for a football player. 
so it's not so the nerdiness and intricacies of the game in America have been displayed more through fantasy football. Are you guys familiar with that fantasy games like that? Yeah, we have very similar things over here, either with Formula One or with uh, the, the the football English Premier League. Okay, yes, over here totally. as well. So I figured yeah. that they'd have that too. Um, but basically, what I mean is, it's more of like kind of um, the group you fall in, like you were saying, Elton. Even when you're a kid, right? Like if you like football, a lot of the kids would be more rough ruffians <laughs> and the more intellectuals would like baseball right so right. i i thought but for me i always liked football because of those reasons i like the intricacies in in the rules in the technology the way that um they'll have new helmets or new unit, even like new equipment or the way that they'll change a certain rule. And that changes the way a play is done. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate that about sport. And for me, it sounds like that's a lot of what you appreciate about formula one. Like, are you guys car guys? Like, do you fix cars and do you work with, cars on your own like i know that you're an engineer you work on elevators right elton you like I, you actually practically work with your hands yeah that's right yeah but is um, that a part I, of it too like do you work with cars and love cars I, i've never been a massive car fiend where I'll, I'll buy a car and then do it up i had a lot of friends when i first started working who would go out and get like Peugeot 205s and uh, the Renault Turbo 5s, I think it was, and do them up and and put new uh, carburetors on them. They'll put new wheels on them. They'll put new brakes on them. They'll, they'll tart them up as best they could and make them as fast as they can. And that never really appealed to me. I think because at that time I had friends that would buy uh, a set of wheels for a car for like 400 quid. Whereas I would rather go out and buy a guitar for 400 quid because yeah. that's what I was really into. <laughs> and and that's what I wanted to spend my money. I'd rather uh. buy a new foot pedal for 100 pounds instead of a, a, a new sound system for 100 pounds in their car. It, I, I was never that person to do up cars. And some of my friends looked at me funny. Well, but you're into Formula One. Yeah, I am. But I can't really stick all that technology onto my car. I'll wait for it to filter through. <laughs> and get so let someone else's hands get dirty on the on the automobile. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. That's how about you, Andy? Do you you said you did some racing, right? No, I said oh. I had a bike. Oh, you had and a I bike. Didn't have okay. A Okay, and I, I I enjoyed owning a motorbike and I enjoyed riding on it, but I'm as bad as far from a car guy as it's possible to okay. get. I mean, I'm a photographer by trade. I mean, I don't even have a proper job. I take pictures, damn it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I mean. We're artists. We're like artsy type of people, and I know that, of course, there's no stereotype of a type of person who's into sports, right? And it's we all know that it's all it extends beyond that. But I just think it's an interesting kind of concept because when you started off talking about it, Elton, one of the first things you said is nerdy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. nerdy and sport are 
oftentimes seen to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. They are seen to be at the opposite right. end of the spectrum, but man alive, they are so close. Yeah. A yeah. lot of the people yeah. don't like yep. to admit to it. Go down to Millwall and tell them they're all a bunch of Millwall nerds. Good luck to you, because you are not coming out there without a bloody nose <laughs> and your car overturned and on fire. <laughs> <laughs> they're all out there in cosplay wearing their football kits. I know, right? Yeah, that's exactly. Right, yeah. That's that's. I just think that... That's something that for me, I don't know why it's that when, as I've been getting into formula one, that concept, that idea has been something that's been floating around my head a lot because I do find that the sport is incredibly loud and masculine and dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, dirty, but for some reason, the parts that I'm attracted to and the parts that I find to be utterly fascinating are the opposite. I find the hum of the cars to be so soothing, like just watching the races. Like I keep on rewatching races and you do, and then just even like the, like the kind of move to gears and stuff, you know, and especially the F1 channel where you can choose any one of the racers to watch the car, the camera on the car is amazing. Like you actually, I think that if you at least two or three, like I, I kind of pick like maybe there's four, maybe five drivers that I like to kind of jump and look at and you can start to even feel the way that they move and the way that the car moves and it's just, there's a beauty and a nerdiness about it that is so at odds with the physicality and the actual, like, I don't know whether I could actually be at a formula one race. I think it would probably give me a panic attack because it's so loud and hot and they're shoved into those cars. Like everything about it is shit that scares the crap out of me. Well, in I'm trying to think when they changed the engine regulations to was it 16, wasn't it? Or no, 14. Uh, it was. It was 14. 14. The, yeah, 14 was when we went to the hybrids because Mercedes yeah. has been winning ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So 2014, everything changed, and we went all. Um, when I say we, I mean like the the Sky Sports because we. We don't get the F1 TV over here, allegedly. Uh, I'm just saying that. <laughs> so, some people do. I don't know how they do that. You know, there's some sort magic. of magic. Well, there's yeah, a will, magic. there's a way. Yeah. Yes. Um, but a lot of the the commentators and the reporters went to the the tests in I think it was Barcelona, and they were going, "It's so quiet. It's so quiet." And that has disappeared over the years, but because we got used to the sound. But I'm sure if you went to a Grand Prix before 2013 and the oh. years before then, they were loud. Honestly, yeah. I, I never went to a Grand Prix with them in anger. I've seen I've seen one of the old Williams go around the track, and they are beasts, man. You you sit in your seat, and you, it reverberates in your, your chest cavity. That is how loud they are. It gets yeah. you right there. And today, they're, they are, they're loud, 
but they're not as loud. You, I when I f- went to my uh, one and only Grand Prix, I enjoyed it, but I was like, oh, they're not that loud. I can talk over the top of them. That's that's a bit disappointing, but you kind of forgive it, and that's the way of the world nowadays. We have to have to change with. Uh, what the the world and the earth deserves and and requires, and so that's the way that we we've gone now. Yeah, that's if something want, I've noticed. If, oh, if go ahead, you, Andy. You remember Gladiator? Do you remember Gladiator? Oh, of course. So you you know the bit in there where you have uh, Oliver Reed talking about how the, the the roar of a crowd would rise; it rises like a storm. That was what Formula One used to sound like. The, it, it, it sounded like a, a tiny contained hurricane. Twenty of them hurtling around at 200 miles an hour. It, it, it literally would sound like someone was tearing reality as they went by. And the cars we have today are still loud, but it's like you've gone from a military jet with full afterburners to a, a 777. They're both jets, but one is going to let you know that it's doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, I can understand that, but I'm the type of person that, like, I don't even like to have, like... A regular car next to me. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a sensitive guy. <laughs> I don't like loud noises. Um, I I do kind of have a little bit of that. Like even when I go to a movie these days, I wear like earplugs because it's so loud to me. Um, oh, I started doing that. I, yeah. One of my um. Oh God, I'm gonna try and remember the year now. I think it was 2014 or 15. I went to my gig, went to a gig, and I went up uh, to reception yes. and and asked for earplugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was that dude that went up and went, um, "Excuse me, do you have any ear protection? Because I'm getting very old now, and my tinnitus is going to be starting playing up <sighs> havoc when I walk out of this, and I'd rather not have that." Yeah. And they like rumbled and searched around and found someone and threw them at me with disdain so yeah i i'm there man i i totally get that so i just i don't know i just think in general it's a very interesting kind of philosophical examination of sport and i think it also for me too as an american a guy from new jersey formula one is largely european um i know they do have one race here right and but I don't there are no American drivers, are there? Not at the moment. Okay. So there have been. There have been American drivers. Yeah, There's I know. Been an American I, champion. Yeah, there have been, but it's definitely something that I think it's just uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of I mean the roots of our country are in Europe. My family came over I'm second generation from my father's side. And it just, there's a little bit of that honor, uh, even though I know full well <laughs> that it's challenged and, you know, there's levels to it. it there, it's a, there's a reality to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you guys don't all walk around like, you know, with tea in your hands and like, uh, like there's, there, there's a lot of talking about it. Right. But even here in American football, I've found less and less of that. You know what I mean? Like one of my favorite 
uh, players back in the day was a running back, Barry Sanders. And when he scored a touchdown, he took the ball, he walked up to the referee, and he handed it to the referee. And he always did a little bow. Like he bowed to like he was like just with his head gave and then he w- went to the side now the dudes like you know do this huge celebration and i'm sounding like an old guy telling people to get off my lawn because i like to celebrate too come on trust me but yeah. i just mean that there is at least some sort of um at least they pay wor- verbiage to that in, in Formula One and the way people talk about the honor and tradition is something that I at least like that idea, though I know the way it plays out is much different. Um, and I really do like the idea that it is a sport, but in some ways too, and in most ways, it is about technology and nerdiness and rules and stuff like that, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, and the thing I, oh, this is a point I had in my notes here. When I watch the uh, onboard cameras, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm flying. I don't even feel like they're driving. Don't you feel like they're flying? Like, I feel like in the future, is the future of Formula One racing or eventually will it be like maglev or something you know what i'm saying where like the drone drone race yeah or something like that where it's just because it's so they're just kind of like like just floating there it remind me a little bit of the uh pod racing from star wars well i i think with the onboards and stuff like that because um they they are so smooth. Every Grand Prix circuit you go to now is almost billiard smooth. And if there are any bumps around the place, then people start, oh, my God, it's far too bumpy in that area. And it's just disgusting. It's far too dangerous, blah, 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 blah. If you went back to when I started watching it and when Andy started watching it, the onboards then were grainy and and broken up. And you'd, you'd go through certain corners, etc., where it would just break up and fuzz and it was it was it was like a sitting in a, a washing machine for two and a half hours it was it was dangerous you was taking your hand off the wheel to change the steer uh, to change gears and stuff like that it was it was a totally different experience the circuits you used to go to like brazil they they were notoriously bumpy. They've changed them now because people have moaned about or drivers have moaned about it for years and years and years. But back then, it felt like an absolute hostile environment that you were getting into. So if if you want something crazy to look at, go and watch that Interlagos Brazil in '92 or onboard cameras. That that is where the 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 steel is. I know Andy has a specific, a specific one that he really really likes as well. I just posted it in the chat. Oh, I've yes. just I literally just posted it in the chat. This is on board with Ayrton Senna around the Circuit de Monaco in 1990. And it's kind of, while the technology today is fantastic, and you're right, it does feel like flight, what it does, though, is it does separate you from the visceral experience of being in that car. If you watch this lap with Ayrton Senna, it's a camera mounted just behind his head. The camera's shaking, it's breaking up, it's bouncing all over the place. The sound of this Honda, uh, I think it was a V10, screaming 
uh, as, as it's going around there. It's it, it visceral is the only way to describe it. You feel like you are holding on for dear life as he throws this car around. And with this car as well, he has to take his hand off to change the gear. He's got a manual gear shifter, not little paddles behind it. He's only got two buttons on there. This, if I may quote from the great Anakin Skywalker, is pod racing. <laughs> you know, this is Star Wars. I know this, exactly this what you're talking about because I watched the documentary Senna. Um, yeah. I got it from my local library. I had seen it when it first came out because I've. Oh, that's the thing is I've always been. I've always known what Formula One was. I've I've always known these names Schumacher, right, and Senna, and some of these. There's an older guy I can remember watching another because I'm also a crazy. I like watching documentaries about things I just have never don't know about. Like, hey, let's learn about this. And I watched a lot of Formula One docs when I worked at World of Video. I think uh, my old boss uh, Mitch was a fan, and. Um, so you're totally right. And the way that they would hit the side and like just be bouncing off, right? Like pinballs. You see the way he's, he's cutting at the wheel. It's yeah. like he's sawing it left and right. Because the cars today have got so much grip and so much downforce. And this is one of my big complaints when you're watching these drivers around Monaco. I mean, they tell us it's a challenge and I take their word at it. But it just looks easy it and for us it just looked boring because you know they're just calmly turning left hit the apex turn right going to the straight whereas here it feels like he's fighting the car around every inch of this circuit at any moment if he has just the slightest lapse in concentration he's going to be in one of these barriers and i mean they're right there up alongside you because of where the camera's positioned down low in the cockpit they're towering over you it, it feels absolutely terrifying and You'll not find a better example of what Formula One is from a driver I'm expecting. I'm sure it still feels like this. But because the technology is advanced now, because we have high-definition motion-stabilized cameras with self-cleaning lenses and high-def video connections, uh, and because the engines are much smoother in their delivery, it feels a lot more placid. Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It, just, it doesn't have the same visceral edge to it. Mm. I still love watching Formula One. I do a podcast every race with Elton. But there's something <laughs> about watching that Formula One. I I'm understand like, I don't it, yeah. I could commentate on it because I would be out of breath. <laughs> yeah, watching someone shift for a gear and miss it and then have to like re-engage the clutch and then try and go for it for a second time and losing so much time. Now it's all seamless and they've, it is PlayStation type thing where you, you click a button and it changes. Yeah. There is no uh, disabling the, the clutch and then the, the gear meshing and it, it's all seamless. It just shifts away and that's it. You don't get any kickback from it whatsoever. Whereas like the early nineties, and 80s and, and beyond, you change gear and you felt it because you, you had to come off mm. and then press the clutch and then change the gear and then drop the clutch again and bang, you got another kick up the arse. And it was, it was like I said, it was a hostile environment. Now, it looks super great when you're on board and it's all smooth and, and there is something to be said of... The, the crystal clearness of everything that you, that you get, all, all the um, the high-res um, 
feeds from the cars. It's super impressive because they are pulling G's. They are going up uphill, down dale, un, underneath bridges, through tunnels, etc. And you don't get any dropout. But sometimes that added to the character of the the viewing experience, what we had. And maybe that's why that, that caught my attention. That was something that was, oh, I wish I could just see inside that tunnel but i can't oh nuts and then when i caught I, I did actually see it i was like oh it's like watching a prequel and then being told exactly how you got there like, <laughs> i kind of knew i was in the tunnel but yeah you I, know I made what? it up for myself i totally feel you and even though i'm coming in um at the end here right and kind of praising what you all might see as a in a sense, like, you know, a, like they slicked it up too much, you know, took away the rawness, the personality. And I, I have some questions about that, too, because I think that very much pertains to whether it's the driver or the car or the team, right, that's actually winning the races at this point. And I think that's something that you guys talk a lot about on your podcast and I try to watch the pre-shows and the post-shows, too, to understand more. And obviously, that's something that's always hotly debated. One thing I've noticed is when I watched that Senna doc, there was a point where he was, like, stuck in sixth or fifth gear or something. And he knew that, right? And then when I thought about what happens now when I'm watching the races, it's like, the guy sitting at the computer tell the guy driving, hey, your car's broken. And he's like, oh, shit, that's why it's not working. He's not, you know what I mean? Like the intuitiveness. You press function F6. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're t- yeah. The fourth menu. Yeah. <laughs> Open so, control panel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're, they keep on telling him or, um, or the computer program they ran was wrong or they need to correct the, when they correct something in the car, they're doing it like by Wi-Fi, right? Like sending a computer signal to the car. And I think that I can see the way it, it, you, it's, it, that's backwards, right? Like instead of the driver intuitively feeling the car, he's being told what the car is. So I can understand there's a loss. I can see that. I mean, that's like, that's like NFL, where you have some uh, where people complain about how the rules have you can't basically throw over the middle anymore or you you do you couldn't throw over the middle of a field because defensive players were just knocking players out so they changed the rules and now the teams that win are the teams that just dump it over the middle because the guy can't come running at him and knock him and people complain you're lessening the sport but as you're saying too all of these advances have made it so a dude can go 150 or 60 miles an hour into the side of a fucking building basically the barrier his whole car explodes and then he just gets up and walks out of it Mm. that was absolutely amazing so with each with the technological advances and the advances 
it does take away the rawness in many ways, you know, and that's happened in the NFL totally. I mean, from helmets to you can't even sack a quarterback anymore. I mean, back in the day, one of the most famous plays in the history, probably the most famous play in the history of the NFL. And a lot of people would say it's like the catch when a guy caught a Super Bowl or it was actually to go to the Super Bowl. But it's when Lawrence Taylor of the New York Giants tackled Joe Theismann of the Washington then Redskins and broke his leg on national TV on a Sunday afternoon. And they just he squealed like a pig as well, didn't he? He that is uh that's a good double entendre there. Um he uh it was shock the nation. But something like that doesn't happen anymore because, one, they won't show it again, right? Mm -hmm. And, two, he would never be allowed to come unabated at the quarterback going that fast. He physically has to stop himself now. You are not allowed to tackle. Literally, they tell now coach defensive players, when you hit the quarterback, you have to stop yourself, catch him, Turn and land on your back. You are not allowed to land on the quarterback. And and protect him at the same time. Yes. Yep. You have to literally, it is part of the rules now in the NFL that you have to hug the quarterback and protect him and give him a friendly embrace. Then turn your body and land on your own body. Because if you land on him... It is a f- automatic 15-yard penalty, first down, and there's a great possibility that you're going to be thrown out of the game. Right. So I just bring that up because, like I say, NFL is kind of my sport, and as I'm getting into Formula One, I can see the way the changes lessen that rawness and, in some respects, the vitality of the game, right? The reason why you wanted to watch it. But you can still appreciate that I don't really need to see a guy's leg broken every weekend. That's not like, you know, and, and we no, don't, that's not why we yeah, go there. Exactly. We don't go there for, for the crashes. And yes, uh, I, I think I where do. you've got, if you say you've been into it for like the last two months or definitely this season, I think you've come into a very sweet spot as well where you have two Great drivers, possibly in the history of the sport. I'm not going to say absolutely fundamentally they are the, the greatest of, of the sports because that, that's too hard to quantify. But two great drivers, and you've come into it pro- probably after Spain, where that was one of the dullest races, and and you've had a, a good run of of good yeah. races. That you, you you've had action, you had debate, you've had controversy and you've had something to get your teeth into yeah it it, it's when you get into like the middle of the season or like the the spanish grand prix which is predominantly a dull race when you when you get into that sort of race and you're like well nothing happened there there was a race this season where nothing happened i I forget where it was is it france (laughs) maybe monaco yeah it was monaco actually weirdly enough where um oh yeah i just watched that last night happened yeah because yeah. nobody could pass anybody and i think hamilton started in like seventh or eighth and and i don't think he even got much farther up maybe he got a little farther up 
Yeah, but it, it's but, it's a, pro- yeah. a, a procession. Waiting, so everyone's waiting for a safety car, and when you're all waiting for a safety car, you're just waiting for someone else to make a mistake, and then it's it the pace is a bit slower, and it's not going to happen, and then you get a really dull race, and then you sit there going, "Why do I like this? I really don't like this." But for myself and Andy and all, all the people that listen to our show and the people I know that are really into Formula One, they will still, they'll find yes. little bits. Totally. I will find something that I can grasp onto and really enjoy that. Yeah. I can, and it might not even be from that race. It might be, well, this is set up for the next race or this, that was from last race. And it's, it's a, a, the long arc story of the season that really gets everyone's attention. Sometimes you have like a bad episode of a, a TV show. And it's filler. That's fine. <laughs> that, that episode was filler. But it yes. was necessary to get. We call the it season. a bridge. Right? Yeah, exactly. To yes. the next one. It, it's supporting. Yeah. Um, I, I told. Okay. So, you know what? This is a great time. We've already got. We've gone on a bit. I don't want to keep you all too long. So, I'm going to hit some of my questions. Okay. And okay. Um, I've just got to kind of. And we've some of them we've talked about already. But because you touched upon it when um, you were mentioning Monaco and the tracks, and that's where I just wanted to start. Do you have a favorite track, each one of you? And my question is, do they run the same tracks every year in the same place? Like, is Monaco always race six? Is this a blah, 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 right? And is the track always the same? So... So, like, I know in the NFL, everybody has their home stadium. Like in, like in, uh, like in a Premier League, everybody has their home. Is it? Do they keep the same tracks all the time? How much does it change? And do you do you all have a favorite? Because one thing I was going to say about Monaco is, regardless if you felt it was not a great race, it's still super awesome to see cars ride on the streets in Monaco. <laughs> like it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And that's one of the things too, that attracted me to formula one is like that Hungaro ring. I was yeah. like, what the fuck? This is amazing. There's like a track in the middle of where, and every time they go somewhere different, I'm like, this is spectacular. Like this just looks like a huge movie set. Like, I, I don't know. There's just something so visually stunning about these tracks. So what, what's your favorite tracks and do they change them? Shall I go first on this one or, or Andy, do you want to, do you want to go on this one? Oh, I, I, okay. So I'll dive in first on this one. Uh, as far as favorite tracks goes, for me, it's probably easy to say which are my least favorite tracks because for me, any, any track which gives an entertaining race, I'm kind of happy with. But the ones which tend to do that most often are tracks like Interlagos, like Spa. Uh, they're, they're, they're tracks that, you know, I, I would put near the upper tier. That's not to say you don't sometimes get dull races there. But by and large, if you go to Interlagos, especially if it's wet, you're in for an exciting time. So I love that. And I love the history there as well. You know, you're looking at circuits that some of the greats drove in different iterations of the formula back in the day. I can't stand circuits, though, like Paul Ricard, which is like a migraine in the mountains, um, like Spain, and, of course, like Monaco, 
uh, if you would like to know my views on Monaco, there are several podcasts related to such, which can be found over at the Gordon Free Podcast. Uh, but I hate Monaco with a passion that burns like a thousand suns. Uh, and mostly they do have the same circuits. They have been upping the number of races since Liberty Media brought it. So I think we're up to the plan was 23 this year, wasn't it, Elton? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that was the plan. But they typically will have the same races at the same time of the year. Okay. This, I feel, is a mistake, but it is what they currently do. Okay. So, but it has changed over, or oh, like you say, Liberty Media bought bought what the whole F one. Yeah. So, oh, well, very briefly, Formula One for the longest time was run by a, a, an individual known as uh, Bernie Eccleston, uh, who in his oh, previous yes. life was a troll under a bridge, mm-hmm. and he ran the ran the sport pretty much from the early 80s until a couple of years ago uh, on behalf of CVC Capital Partners, which was a private equity firm. And they sold it to Liberty Media in 2017. Wait, is Liberty and, Media Malone? Who is that guy? Wasn't he a... Um, yeah, Malone. Yeah, It is him. Yep. Oh, okay. I know about this guy. I once... Uh, <laughs> I think I interviewed him once. Uh, well, he, he owns Formula One now. Okay, because <laughs> he used to do... Um, yeah, he has always been involved in investing and media, and I used to write about infomercials. And he, if I remember correctly, I think he was involved in one of the big infomercial companies, or his company bought one. I, I don't know. I have to remember that. But oh, okay, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, because this whole sport is like billionaired up, right? Like this is like oligarch city. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of money in Formula One. And since they bought it, they have been expanding the calendar. Uh, and so we are going to some new countries uh, for oh. some new races. That might be a good thing. It might not be. The problem at the minute is there are too many circuits and a lot of the circuits, well, all of the circuits, except I think Monaco, pay to host their race. And some racers pay a lot more to make sure they host the last race of the season. Uh, And the problem is it's a terrible circuit. (laughs) Mm, I see. That's interesting. Okay. That adds a little bit of a, um, for me, and uh, if, uh, yeah, that's like a little bit like college football in America where people kind of, they pay to play a better team, even though they know they're going to lose. Or and basically, what you're saying is the money gets in the way of the sport, right? Oh like yeah, they're willing Every to pay time. more money, <laughs> so you're on a less quality circuit that doesn't have that is not up to speed. And do the drivers often complain about this? Because that's one thing I like the way the the drivers talk shit all the time. I think that's fun. Oh, oh, sweetie. Oh, honey. Um, <laughs> a, a couple of them might voice an opinion or two, but for the most part, they are they, they, their PR managed pretty much up the wazoo. Um, um, I don't know. They so, talk so, more than they talk. I don't know. They talk more than I guess I'm used to the NFL where most people, they only start talking when their career is over. Have um, you seen Rush? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah, go, go look up James Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Some okay. of the things he used to say. <laughs> that's, 
That's interesting. So I guess I, I can see what you're saying that they, if, because the, that was a big part of the Senna um, documentary. And when I, and I'm going to ask a little bit about these team managers and everything, but just from the Netflix show as well, um, obviously they, they spent a lot of time with the people with money and the big guys. So I know that that's a big part of it. Uh, but that's interesting that to get back to the track thing, are you, so it's called a, you would call it a circ. I'm calling it a track, but it should be called a circuit. Both are fine. I mean, okay. I've always called them circuits, but you know, tracks, tracks fine as well. I think that's just a American European thing. Well, I like it better. I mean, it's just like Grand Prix sounds a lot better than race. has a a nicer ring to it. Um, But I like that they're changing them. That's cool. Do they change the tracks themselves each year? Like this turn? Only a little bit. They they do it a little bit because the circuits have to have a certification from the FIA to meet safety standards. And it is difficult to do. That makes sense. Changes without impacting that because then you also have to have it recertified. Like, although we haven't had it this year, the Australian Grand Prix is reprofiling a couple of its corners to try and make some more exciting turns. Um, Likewise, the Abu Dhabi race, which I alluded to earlier, um, they're doing some changes to try and uh, make it make for some more exciting racing. The Abu Dhabi circuit is an interesting one, actually, because that kind of encapsulates the problem in Formula One or certainly the problem under Bernie Eccleston's Formula One. They they had a blank sheet of paper and they could have designed any circuit they wanted to make. And the circuit they made hasn't particularly worked out well. And a large part of that is there's a couple of places where you could have long runoff areas and have really good, interesting corners and overtaking opportunities. But they wanted to put grandstands closer to the circuit so they could mm. sell more tickets. Yeah. And so because of that, they couldn't have the corner that would allow for better racing. So they've sacrificed the spectacle of the race in the interest of selling tickets to make money. And that has that was certainly a hallmark of Bernie Eccleston's Formula One. If he, if he thought he could get an extra dollar out of you, he was getting that extra dollar out of you. Mm, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's something that all sports face, right? That's pretty that, – that makes sense. And the thing about the changing the track is fascinating and makes sense too, right? Because you'd think that, okay, if you change one corner, then this – I mean, it affects the whole circuit, right? Because it's – you kind of have to – it has to have this many turns or this – I think that's really interesting. That's part of it. No, there's, no, there's, there's no limit on how many – there's no limit on how many turns a circuit has to have. Grand Prix are a certain mileage. It has to. Is it 300 kilometers, Alan? Uh, it's 300 miles. It could miles. be kilometers. Uh, oh, God. Basically, oh, God, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> basically, over, for a Grand Prix, it is a race over a certain distance, which is why some races have 87 laps and right. others have 55 laps. Right. And so if you look at um, last year in 2020 during the COVID pandemic, uh, they raced. Uh, Bahrain twice, one after the other, but that circuit is set up in a way that you can have different layouts without recertifying it. So on the first race, they did what was known as the Grand Prix circuit, which is one we've raced on many times. But then on the second race, they did what was called the outer circuit, which is 
almost an oval shape effectively and so that race was like 87 laps i think it was whereas the normal race was 60 laps just to allow for the extra mileage to be accumulated that is cool 300 kilometers or 190 miles thank you very much interesting that's interesting all right cool all right all right so okay this is a big question because this is something that I have had a very hard time understanding. Okay. Well, when a mummy and a daddy love each other very much, they do this special hug. Is that when the seed passes from the, from the mouth, from the dad's mouth to the, when they say, I do. And then Gunter Steiner turns up. (laughs) All right. So one of the cool things about formula one is that it's so small. Um, I, I like, uh, soccer, what I call soccer, you call football. And I have gotten a bit into like premier league, but then there's like La Liga and this, and there's like a million fucking things. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then they play like a champions league and then they play a, this cup. And I, I, I still watch because I enjoy watching it. Right. But I, there was a, it was too steep. The price of entry for me to understand it, you know, and even like American football, there's 32 teams. That's a lot in formula one. It seems like there's what there's like 10 teams, right? And there's two drivers within that team. There is a dynamic between the drivers, which I'd like to talk about whether that's always existed kind of, one driver seems to get more attention, be the favorite always, and I'm not quite sure always if this is that they're trying to bring one up or sometimes they just need to fill a slot. It's probably a little bit of a both. But my main question is this. There is something called a midfield or a bunch of teams who seem to always be kind of at the end. Maybe that's the end field but they're like related to the other team. So they talk about like someone from Williams is going to jump to, I think, was it Mercedes? Like does Mercedes own Williams? So you can probably see what I'm talking about here. You can probably explain it better to me. How does the dynamic between the teams and inside the teams, the drivers work and has it always been like that? Okay. Um, well, the dynamic. The, I, I think the dynamic. You have they are businesses now. You have Mercedes. You have Ferrari. You have Alpine, which is Renault. You have. I'm trying to think of others that are in there. Aston Martin as well. The, these are people that the whole um, idea of them going racing used to be. You, you win on a Sunday, you sell on a Monday. So you'll sell your cars on a Monday because your car won on a Sunday. Yeah. People will more than likely go out and buy a Mercedes or a Ferrari after they'd won on a Sunday because, well, they're the winners. So let's, let's sell them. Um, there's a lot of dynamics. You have the, the dynamics of the team. You have the dynamics between the drivers. Sometimes you're bringing up a, a driver. Sometimes you'll have a team that has a pay driver as well. Some of the teams are connected. So w- when you're talking about Williams and Mercedes, they're connected by the engine. So Mercedes, I'm not too sure if Mercedes give 
Williams any engines, but Williams do have a Mercedes youth driver in their academy. And so he's driving for them at the moment, a bloke called uh, George Russell. And he is tipped to be a future Formula One winner and hopefully in the future a champion as well. But he's been in Williams, plugging away, getting some good results. Uh, but there is a bond between these two teams. So you have the, the Mercedes engines and also in future, I'm sure when Mercedes turn around and say, look, George, we need you now. Step out of that Williams, step into our car and go win some races. And that is probably in an agreement somewhere along the lines. Um, but do they own, like, does, does Mercedes own a portion of that team? Or is it just, that's what I find hard to understand. Because it would be like if the Jets, who are always a shitty team, <laughs> decided to start kind of like training players for... The Patriots, that's their rival. Does Williams think, oh, we're never going to beat Mercedes, so we might as well... Williams is Williams is a difficult one to quantify because Williams is an old family. It's an old name in Formula One. Williams used to be the Mercedes of Formula One, if you will. They won everything uh, back in the day. Red Bull own another team. Red Bull own Team Alpha Tauri. Yeah, They're both okay, owned yeah. by the same people. Um and Ferrari uh, have a lot of influence over Alfa Romeo. They don't own them, but they provide engines and a lot of technical support and personnel. And I'm pretty sure are paying part of Kimi Raikkonen's salary. And Giovinazzi is definitely part of their driver academy. So they have a close relationship. Williams is a difficult one, though, because there's a lot of disparity in Formula One at the minute, and that hasn't while it's always been the case that um, there will be faster, faster teams and not so fast teams, one of the things Bernie Ecclestone did fuck up in Formula One. Can I swear in this podcast? Yeah, well, you're going to have to beep it anyway. Yeah, but one of the things he did, one of the things he did, was he was in charge of the distribution of prize money and the funding there, and he learned very quickly that if you want a team to do what you want them to do, you give them more money and they will do what you want. And so he set up a system where if you were doing well in Formula One, you got more of the money. And because you got more of the money, you were able to do better in the sport. And so you got more of the money and it kind of self-perpetuated. And we effectively have had a free-tier Formula One since maybe 2010-ish. Oh, that's so interesting. So instead of instead of engaging in equal profit sharing to bring up the smaller teams to the level of the larger teams, they basically enacted a caste system. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, Ferrari, <laughs> Ferrari get more money for just showing up than uh, Mercedes were getting when oh, they won wow. the championship in 2014. Okay. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's yeah, not good. Like that's interesting because in, um, the push in American sports, beginning really with the NBA, where the players took control of the league way earlier. I mean, the NFL players do not have any control of the league, um, but the NBA players control the whole league, where they pushed profit sharing and they they try to help 
small market teams be able to compete with the big market teams. And it's been very successful, especially in the NFL where you have teams like the Buffalo Bills. And if you've ever been to Buffalo, New York, that is not a like very wealthy city. Um, they're on, they have a better team than the New York jets who are in Manhattan. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, and people see it that way. They don't see it. That's oh, Okay. I guess it was really hard for me to understand that you would willingly do that to your sport. Well, Williams fell into a bit of a black hole because, but as I said, they used to be they right. used to be championship winners. They they won everything in the nineties. They were the team to beat. And then Ferrari started winning everything around the two thousands, and ferrari and mclaren kind of got a rivalry and it was about then that bernie eccleston started giving them extra money and incentive because he realized that ferrari as a brand was important to formula one there was a lot of politics involving a possible breakaway series which i won't get into but basically i understand that ferrari ferrari were guaranteed a lot more money now what's happened just now from liberty media is they are for the first time introducing a budget cap and i think that budget cap is about 145 million pounds um and to give you a comparison last year mercedes spent 330 million winning the championship the budget cap this year is 145 for all teams ah okay that's interesting so okay so although it's still not quite equal distribution Mm -hmm. between all of the teams because obviously not only does ferrari get more money they have a veto on the rules they can veto rules they don't like uh but it's more equal distribution of a wealth. Plus, it's now that if you win the championship, you don't have as much time in the wind tunnel as the teams which finish lower down to try and bring up a level of parity between the teams. So one of the regulation changes we'll see next year, hopefully that will feed into tightening things up. Wow. Thank you, Andy. That is a great explanation because... I think that's something that's hard to understand, um, these intricacies of the whole format of the way it works. And that's one thing is like, I know when I'm watching, I see this little W and this little kind of red check mark always at the bottom, <laughs> like four guys at the bottom, you know, and it's been hard for me to understand how um and this will roll into a next uh question which is um we kind of answered the question about the competition but i'd like to go into that a little bit more so do you feel like we're now entering a phase of formula one where it won't just be like two or three people at the top but rather where a car or a driver from a team that maybe is placing last a lot can all of a sudden win a race. Do you think like we could do that? Because it seems now that some of the cars in particular, Mercedes and Red Bull, the cars themselves are so much better. And like you're saying, they get advantages to make this car better, which it seems would never allow the other teams to get to that level to even compete with them. Because it's the car that literally is not as good, right? Well, next year, 
we are getting a very comprehensive regulation change. A Formula One car from 2022 will not look anything like a Formula One car from yes, 2021. I saw it. I loved it. I and, thought it looks... And you guys did a good episode about it. Ah, thank you. Uh, but but the, 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 what's interesting here is this is the very first time that the regulation change has been driven by science in that the, the rule makers led by Ross Braun, who used to be one of the greatest team principals in the sport. Um, we, we, we say he's a um, poached turned gamekeeper because he's the kind of guy who would find all of the little loopholes in the regulations to exploit the maximum advantage and then push it. And, and he's, been pushing this regulation change now where what they've done is they've actually sat down put models through a wind tunnel and have gone into it with a plan and and the goal was to allow cars to follow more closely this is going to get a little nerdy i apologize but this is kind of fundamentally the problem that you have with formula one cars a formula one engineer builds his car to go as fast as possible in clean air with no cars in front of him Mm -hmm. because in an ideal world he will qualify at the front, accelerate away, and then disappear off into the distance. What happens is if that doesn't happen, if they are following another car, the turbulent air being thrown off of that car disrupts the downforce on the following car, which means they lose grip. And because they've lost grip, they're not able to close up on the other car and are unable to pass them. And this regulation change is meant to eliminate that effect to eliminate the dirty air coming off of a car mm-hmm. and allow them to follow more closely and to pass. That combined with the budget cap, meaning teams can't just spend obscene amounts of money to engineer out problems, should mean that although we're not going to see Williams winning races straight away, it should allow them to compete for good points and maybe podium points, podium places throughout and we shouldn't get the disparity that we currently have between the first place cars and the last cars things are a lot closer this year though than they have been previously because these regulations are quite mature they've been relatively stable for the past six years so everyone's kind of gotten the most out of the regulations that they can next year it will be a bit turbulent but then we'll see where it goes from there I totally understand that. I like this. We're going somewhere. All right. That's cool. I kind of, <laughs> And okay. now you know where we get the, the dirty air from yes. deck chairs and dirty air. I'm just yeah. wondering what you think of deck chairs now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you sit on to watch, right? Uh, yeah. th- Do you know a... why we say deck chairs? <laughs> no. Go on, Elton. You tell the story. Okay. It was – I might get the years wrong, but I think it was 2016 – Brazilian Grand Prix. Was it that one? I'm sure it was. Or 15? I think it was. It was 15 and or 16. It was, it was a McLaren year. Yeah, it, and McLaren had the Honda engines, and they were going through a bit of a rough time because uh, Honda had been blowing their own smoke up their own ass for, for so long, saying, yeah, we've got a great engine. We're going to shove it in the back of this car, and we're, we're bringing back the McLaren Honda years. It's going to be amazing, and everyone's going to love it. And it was an absolute tire fire of a year for them. And there's a very famous moment where uh, I think Alonso broke down. I forget where it was. Was it in practice? No, he was in the actual race. And um, Alonso broke down and he ended up sitting, finding one of these um, 
Marshall stations and they had a deck chair there and he decided to sit in that <laughs> deck chair and he sat there sunning himself like the glorious lion that he is. <laughs> he, t- Imagine... he literally turns over and looks at the camera and waves at one point because he yeah. knew what was going on. Yeah, he, he t- I think there was a moment when he was actually doing the camera as well, wasn't there? Or was that yeah, yeah. A, a different period? No, but, it, was that, it was that race, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but imagine if the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz had a, a race suit on and he was just sunning himself in, in the sun. That's exactly what he looked like. And it was a beautiful moment. So that's I where the deck chairs comes from as well. I love it. I love stuff like that. Yeah. This is a fun sport. I really do. All right, moving see? on. Um, let's see. We got I'm I like that. We talked about the competition. Okay. My next question. Does everyone follow a course of it seems like people start riding go-karts. Do they all go from like go-karts to F3 to F2 to F1? I'm not sure that I understand what F3 and F2 and how you, you know, like for instance, if a person's going to play in professional sports here, they play in high school, they play in college, and then they're drafted into it. What is the, is it, I mean, I know that one guy, Stroll, his dad is like a bazillionaire, so his dad was like, you're the driver now. Um, But is there like a way that people kind of move up, or is it many different ways? I I think there's a, a ton of ways. There's no one given way of getting through. Some take the go karting route, which I think is the... The the go to way of getting into this sort of thing because then you if you do go karts then you can go on to different places you you can go to um, what fundamentals is go karts yeah yeah then, then you can go to like touring cars you can go to well anything really can't you it, it's it's up to you but I think the the majority of people that get into the go karts see as Formula One as the the end game and but the, there's there used to be a – used to climb a ladder or it was seen that you should climb a ladder. There, there are a couple of drivers that haven't climbed that ladder. There's people that have gone off to Japan and, and worked their ass off over in their uh, uh, series over there and then worked their way back to Europe, etc. A lot of – I think Senna went from Brazil when he, he decided, well, the only way to get into Formula One is to go to, to Europe. And so he travelled over to Europe and and worked in what, Formula 3, I think it was, or F- Formula 3000, it used to be known as. It's changed over the years. It used to be GP2 and, and, and GP3. I think it's all changed oh, now okay. to F, F2 and F3. So the disciplines are, are almost the same. It's, it's very much like when the Premier League came out and then everything changed o- over in football over here. So... Um, not everyone takes the same course, but they all end up in the same sort of place. Some some people it's easier than others. Some people have a harder time than others. Uh, people have a name attached to themselves. People have a daddy attached to themselves as well. And some people have the Russian mafia attached to them as well. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Okay, but if that you're makes sense Putin, to me. That makes sense to me. So I could it's see... definitely... Well, I was okay. going to say, with... with uh, with 
Formula One. Formula One is is it is the pinnacle of single seater motorsport, but there's only 20 seats available, and most drivers stay in there for several years. And unfortunately, we're in a situation now where if you want to get in there, you have to have backing. And yeah. it's something uh, Lewis Hamilton said recently. It's becoming a billionaire boy club because unless your daddy is a billionaire and willing to buy you a team, you're just you're just not getting in. GP2, when that was set up, the idea was that the GP2 champion would be guaranteed a seat in Formula One. Ah, that lasted, okay. I think, three seasons. That's what I was getting to. Because, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask if they're like guaranteed seats for people who do work their way through. It was the idea originally, but it just it, it, you need more than a single season in Formula One to acclimatize. Mm. Back when we were watching it, back in the early days, what you'd have is drivers would start off into smaller teams like Minardi or Arrows and right. those were the teams which were running around at the back of the grid effectively and they'd, they'd be allowed a season or two to kind of hone their craft before moving up. Now though what happens is you turn up, you pay a load of money you get in the team and you're kind of guaranteed a seat up until the point where someone else with more money comes along um, and, and that's just kind of what we're seeing happening now. Uh, Lewis Hamilton one of the reasons why I hold him in great respect is, you know, he, he doesn't come from wealth. His daddy isn't a billionaire. His dad wasn't a formula, former world champion. You know, his dad had to take like three jobs to pay for his yeah. karting career. And he got noticed by a um, uh, the McLaren Drivers uh, Academy or whatever it was called. And, and he got in that way. That wouldn't be an option for him today, though. But they, they just, you, you, it's so competitive and it's so hard to, to get noticed. And unless you have a financial backing to do it, you just have no hope of getting into the sport. And that's something the sport really needs to address. And the other one as well, it's just, you know, diversity in general, because it's a very white sport, if we're honest. Yeah. No, I was going to, I was going to bring that up. I had a whole section about Sir Lewis Hamilton, which (laughs) um, was because I watched on the F1 channel they had like a 30 minute or so documentary about his life and coming up and I learned about him. Um, and one of the, I guess there is some question of, I mean, it seemed to me when you look at the win totals, he's kind of like the Tom Brady, who is the NFL quarterback who was the most winningest person in the history of the sport that he is now considered to be, is he considered to be the best Formula One driver ever? Do you guys think he's the best? Statistically speaking, he is the most successful driver in Formula One. It's very hard, though, to quantify it because Formula One changes. You know, a Formula One car from even a decade ago is radically different from a Formula One car today. And that's nothing compared to the cars that you had in the 90s and the 80s. And sometimes drivers drive the older cars. And I think there was something a few years ago where uh, Lewis Hamilton drove one of Senna's cars. And he was just like, it's, it's terrifying. You know, because <laughs> there's, 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 the level of protection modern cars have is just non-existent. And as I was saying earlier, you know, those cars, there's no LCD display. There's no electronics. There's no settings. There's a manual gear shifter. There's a clutch pedal. And those just aren't things that they have to deal with today. And it used to be in the 50s, 60s, 70s, they were losing a driver a week. And it was just accepted. It was just, it's just part of Formula One. 
And I don't think today you could go into a sport with that kind of a mindset and expect people to do it. We've lost in Formula One, one driver in the last decade. We lost a Formula Two driver last year. And and that had huge repercussions throughout the sport. But yeah. back in the time when Jackie Stewart was racing, yeah, they they were losing a driver a week. And to have the... Some might call it the balls. Some might call it the madness, whatever it is, though, to, to get in the car knowing that you have a one in 20 chance of dying. I mean, even if you're coming last, then that takes some that takes something. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. OK. And you, of course, mentioned, I think Lewis Hamilton is the is is he the only black driver that has ever won in Formula One? Is he there are no currently any other than white drivers, right? He's certainly the only one that's ever won. I don't think he's the only black driver that's been in Formula One, though. I think there's been others, but I couldn't name them off the top of my head. Well, it definitely seems. And I mean, I saw after, I mean, this is the world, so it's no surprise to me. And having and read about what he's faced as far as racism goes and people being dumb about it. I mean, we all know that that's stupid. And I was happy to listen to some podcasts where after the crash happened, what was that, two races ago? Um, uh, uh, you mean the um, Silverstone one? Yes, yeah. <laughs> with Verstappen, um, that people were just saying in the beginning, like, hey, if, you don't, if, that, if you're sending him racist shit, like, don't even like, tune out of the podcast. And so I'm, but it was good to hear that, but it was also sad because that means it's so prevalent. You know what I mean? That... And that that's a that's a sad thing to see, but it's good if they're trying. If he and I have read that he does a lot to try to get, um, not only people of color into it, but just people who don't have the means, uh, to get into racing. So I think that that's cool that he's doing that too, because obviously you think I mean this should really kind of be like more of like a worldwide sport. They do. It does go all over the world. Right. And I thought, I thought it was kind of cool that there's a Japanese driver this year too. Right. Japan's got a long history in formula one though, especially with Honda. There's been some fantastic Japanese drivers, cool. uh, Takuma Sato, uh, Yukio Kagiyama, um, Taka Inui. <laughs> is there, chi are, are there, is there any Chinese drivers? I don't think you would think so. too. There's so much money in China too. You would think that somebody would be trying to buy in because there was like that Force India team, right? Like I think that's mm -hmm. interesting when you just see different people kind of. And you have already mentioned that there are probably uh, some Russian oligarchs involved. <laughs> but like anywhere, I mean, you know, unfortunately, I mean, we do see that sometimes in order for there to be some sort of equality, their first uh, unfortunate has to be like somebody's got a lot of cash, you know, and they can kind of get their way in. Um, but that's interesting. Speaking about the drivers, um, because I, I like this, I like Lewis Hamilton's story and I love watching him drive too. When you, uh, I, I go back and watch some old races at night too. And he's just, you can tell when you're on that, when you're looking at the camera, right. That people mm -hmm. have like kind of a control of the car and how people drive. Um, 
which makes me think that one guy who I think is very fun to watch and he has a kind of uh, is um, uh, Alonzo. I think is oh no 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 Lando Norris. That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> Norris. I like the way he has a bit of a uh, he a little bit of recklessness to him. Uh, it seems like he takes a little bit more of a chances, but it's fun to watch that onboard camera. But um, that gets me to the question: Who's the most popular driver? Who do people really like? Like he doesn't have to be the best. But who do people think just kind of has a great personality or people are always cheering for? Because it made me think of Norris. He seems to be a guy that people kind of get behind. And um, also, it seems like a lot of people get behind George Russell, too. Like, they kind of like the guy. They want him to do good. So who are some of the guys? Who's like the good guys in racing that people like? Can I take this one for for of a course. moment? Okay, oh, this is all yours, sir. The the, the the floor is open. Do you want to drag your soapbox over? <laughs> drag my soapbox. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, good guys. Lando Norris is definitely an up and coming good guy, and and also George Russell. They are part. They are going to be the future. Definitely going to be the future. I think the future is in good hands with them as well because I think they have personalities there outspoken more than what other drivers have been in the past, especially around McLaren as well, because McLaren was a very stale, um, clinical, precision machine, which like would Red let Bull. you... Like Red Bull have become, yes. Yeah. And it's... It, you only get, like, yes, no answers, etc. And, and now McLaren have, have kind of taken off that big heavy coat and and let things just happen and they've got two good drivers daniel ricardo and lando norris and norris is very very popular and if you look at if if you've been watching formula one enough you would have seen norris develop over the short years he's been in there and this year is just last year was he raised his game or and got much much better this year, he, he's just tenfold, much, much better than, than last year. And I think it's taken some people by surprise. Uh, he's, he's very popular. He's got this Twitch following as well, which helps. So you're, you're kind of tapping into a, a youthful, um, the Instagram following type uh, people okay. that would be... The social media type thing yeah. as well. The, the thing that we, we know of and we have been a part of and embedded into, but we haven't known... We've known the world without it, but there are people growing up and enjoying this sport now who don't know the world without it. They don't even know what a cassette looks like. <laughs> and so... Have you, they, have they you guys see, noticed that the thing going around now is the meme that says, I used to have a cassette I could put in my car and it had a wire on it that led to my CD player? <laughs> like, oh, God, yes. <laughs> that's like the new old people, let's make fun of the Gen Xers type thing, but... That would blow some people. I can mind. see that with Norris too, because the, the kid's got a good smile. Yeah. You know? He, he comes. He's off got a good really personality. Well. He comes yes. across really yep. well. Yep. 
But but then you get, um, I think Alonso and Vettel are two people that we all used to love to hate as well. Okay. And they've been through we some should, We should just qualify there, though. That's largely the British media. Yes, I think is. you'll yes. find in Europe, they've always been very popular. And I think that might be why we have this perception of Lando and George being uh, popular and up and coming. Is because Formula One is very British centric. Most of the teams are based yeah. in the UK. A lot of the journalism in the media but you'll be getting because in the US and in Australia, they farm out the British commentary teams more than anything else. So I just wanted to say that. that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. They, Alonso and Vettel were certainly painted as the villains over here in the UK because they were up against British drivers. Yes, yeah, they were. And that's always been the way, though, isn't it? You know, when um, Mansell was up against Nelson Piquet or Alan Prost or Senna. Yeah. And and there was a very famous um, banner that someone, I, I God knows who it was, but someone took a banner to the the British Grand Prix in 1991, I, I'd like to say. And... Senna ran out of pe- of fuel on the very last lap of that race. Mansell went on to win the race, but Senna pulled up, and he pulled up next to this banner. I, I, I don't know if he, he he knew exactly what he said, but he probably didn't notice it there. And it said, "Only nuts come from Brazil," and that is kind of like the 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 um, humour that the British public used to have, and it was it used to have that and. Senna was seen as the bad guy, so you know, they, they were taunting him, but in a, in a nice way, ribbing him in a nice way, how we used to be able to have fun, etc. Um, I'm sure they would be burned and torn up before it got anywhere near the security guards nowadays, so you, you wouldn't be able to hang anything out like that. But there was like a a, a pantomime villain of, of, of uh, Senna, and then you went through the Schumacher Hill years of... Well, he, he's the German. You, you, he has to be the bad guy, and we're the British, and we have to be the good guys. We don't have skulls on our our suits, and I'm sure he's got some skulls somewhere, doesn't he? But he, he used to have that all the way through, and now we've got Hamilton and Verstappen going against each other. But I think there's a there's a big Hamilton's very very popular over here. And throughout the world. But there are also people that love to hate him as well. And that's a very popular thing. And then you get the booing. Vettel had the booing. Michael Schumacher's had the booing. Hamilton's had the booing now as well. That's creeping in. I don't like that because that that is shit as far as I'm concerned. I think that is shit. Formula One isn't about that. This isn't. This isn't football. This isn't Millwall. This isn't Charlton. This isn't West Ham. It, it, it's not like that. You know, I thought maybe this is me looking down on my nose at football a little bit, but I thought we had a bit of class about ourselves. And <laughs> even though our um, our drivers didn't win the race, we still applauded the person that did win the race because they put their life on the line. Yes, that's but what now I was going yeah. It's all boo, we don't like him. Bro. And it, it doesn't feel like it's coming from a place of fun. Yeah, which is really there. annoying. You know what, guys? I, I do, and that's, I guess, when I was talking about kind of the honor or sportsmanship part of it, you know? And yeah. really what it's tied into is you could die. You know what I mean? Like, look, 
if you go out onto a soccer field, a football field, yeah, you know what? You are risking injury. And football, is, especially American football, is a brutal sport. And I think there's something that 60 or 70% of players leave with lifelong debilitating injuries. Like yeah. they just never walk right the rest of their life. Or they're in such intense like elbow pain every day of their life. They have to have it reconstructed 20 times. But this sport, you really are risking. And even though we've talked about the safety measures and the amount of, you know, so many less people have died, that's good. But still, you are going at such speeds with such, like you're in a vehicle, you know, it's, it's a different thing. So I see where you're coming from there. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I thought lately, um, didn't Vettel, he was wearing like the gay pride shirt and got in trouble for that. And then I think here in America, I saw a couple of people, I, friends who have, who have either been into Formula One or whatever, kind of like, oh, he's a cool dude. So it's interesting that, you know, I mean, it comes from all yeah. sides, right? He, 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 yeah, he was wearing the the shirt and the um, the face mask and stuff like yeah, that, and then he got interviewed after, and they said, "Well, you you could get penalised for that. You could have a fine." He's like, "I don't care," and that's what we need. We need more people to turn around like and say, that. "Look, yeah. don't get this is the bigger picture. We don't care. Find me if you want. Yeah, find me a hundred thousand pounds. I don't care. That's that's nothing, and that will get written off in a, a tax thing. Who?" gives a crap you know the more important thing is the message here and i think as andy said with the british media vettel was the bad guy for a long long time and especially when he went and did stupid things like the um turkey in um, blanking on the year i think it's 2011 and then you had multi 21 in 2013 i think it was you know these are two famous incidences that you if you're getting into Formula One, you kind of need to need to know so you know where Vettel has had his journey from as well. So we we have these pantomime villains. Alonso was a pantomime villain for a long, long time. Well, for a few years, he was the hero because he was dethroning Schumacher in in 2005-2006. Schumacher was the villain, and he was like the the old master, and now. Uh, Alonso was coming through, and he's the he's the young apprentice taking over from this role, and he has, he has to dethrone this person. And once he did, then he started winning, and it wouldn't stop winning. And then you had like the the Renault thing of the Briatori, and that's that's a very very dodgy subject to get into because there's a bit of skullduggery and definitely brown envelopes passing underneath tables as well but you know he, he he got that and then the the press turned on him a little bit as well and then that's the way he falls out of favor right? you, you yeah then he goes to ferrari yeah he goes to ferrari which was the schumacher team and that's oh, well hang on he's gone to ferrari he must be a bad guy they have skulls on their cars don't they etc anyway, it, it carries on and i i love all that pantomime type thing i can see the bigger picture of Sometimes I get too invested in it, but there is, I think one of the, the most popular drivers out there at the moment, he's probably retiring at the end of the year, is Kimi Raikkonen. Yes. Yeah. And I think any circuit you go to, there are still supporters for him. There's still people cheering from him and he's still going, I don't care. I don't, I don't, why are you turning up? Why are you supporting me? Why are you buying my clothes? I don't care. What are you doing this for? 
I'm just driving cars. And that's what I like about him. Yeah. The thing I, I really liked about him, because he's a very skillful driver. He was so young when he first came into Formula One. But there was a moment, there was a clear moment where I was like, yeah, man, he's crazy. He's good. And I love him. And it was in the Belgian qualifying in 2002 or 2003. And a car had blown up in front of him and there was smoke all over the place. This engine had just exploded in front of him. So there's white smoke, white fumes all over the place. And he just decided, ah, do you know what? Tow it through it. And he put his foot down. He went through it. He didn't give a crap about what was going to happen. Nowadays, people would be like, oh, this disgusting. He should be slowing down. But at the moment, I was very young. He was very young. I was like, yeah, man. That is wicked. He knew where this other car was going to be, and he weren't going to be on the line. He just blew through this um, this cloud of fog, and he emerged the other side and carried on. And it's like, oh, that's good. So good. And it's, it's yeah, that's why he's stories. popular with me anyway. So. But there's, there's loads of incidents like that where... I'd love to like spend like the next 10 hours just saying, okay, right. Look at this video. Look at this video. Look at this. Don't watch this, but I'll, I'll give you a link to it, but don't watch it. I'm, I'm a bit. So. Hey, I, you can send them over. Cause I'll watch them. I like finding out. I mean, that's something I realized too, is I'm entering something that has a history and a perception of person uh, that people have today could have been very different just last season. Um, mm -hmm. Or earlier this season or the last race. Um, I, th I think the uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton is an interesting example for me. I am traditionally, a, I always root for the underdog. Um, my team, the New York Jets, won a Super Bowl in 1968. And they haven't done so good since then. <laughs> so I'm just, we're still living on that. So mm -hmm. I'm always for kind of the underdog. So even though I love Hamilton's story and man, I watch him. What a professional. And I, I can see obviously, um, and his record is ridiculous. It's like I say, like Tom Brady, but I fucking hate Tom Brady. Um, yeah, I don't, but like, you can appreciate yes, the sportsman behind exactly, it. Though, can't you? Totally. So I have that thing with Hamilton where I don't want to like him because he's the winner. But then I find his story is, I mean, it's amazing, you know, and when you, and how he came up and then what he's had to go through too, and the strength of this dude. And he, he seems like a cool dude. Um, I think that's interesting too, that that isn't Senna his hero. Yes. And it they is, have yes. like, there, there's also a religious component, isn't there with both of them? That plays into it, at least what I've seen, that he's mentioned. Well, Sen Senna's too. definitely religious. I don't think Hamilton's religious in a – I think uh, Hamilton is spiritual okay, rather than religious. I, th okay. I think you know, that, that's what I see. Yeah, I mean, it does – I mean, he's free. I just thought that that was – because, you know, that can also create a different storyline as well too, you know? Because like yeah. you said, it seemed that one of the things with Senna was people saying like, oh, you think you can't die because God will save you. And I thought that was interesting that that was kind of a debate that happened, you know, like um, especially in a sport where at that point you could die you know, so easily. Um, all right. So let me move on because I could have you guys here forever. Um, some quick questions I've had, and these are more about like rules. Okay. Okay. All right. So. 
the main body, which is, what is it called again? The FA, what's it called again? FIA. FIA. The Federation International Automobile. Awesome. They are the ones who decide this is the car, this is what you can do. And now you've explained to me that they also, there are certain teams because of their standing or because of who they are, are allowed to spend more money on the car. So that explains to me why certain teams have a better car than the other team. But one thing I don't quite understand is the modifications that they can make based on the rules. There seems to always be a question of this. And is there a standardized body that decides like each time they make a modification, do they have to, look at it, and then it's approved? Is that the way it works? If you imagine, within the regulations, you have the car, and the car is then divided up into boxes. A good example would be the front wing. If you look at the front wing on all of the cars, there's a box which tells you how wide the wing can be, and it has to be exactly that wide. And then there's another box, and you can have no error elements in between this box where the nose connects to the wing which is why if you look at the front wings they're all kind of bland in the middle and then they have these really intricate wings coming off of them and then they're allowed a certain number of elements there i think it's three or four elements and then there's a lot of regulations what what you find though it's it's the minutiae it's the little intricate you know it's a little flick here of carbon here It's it's a little tweak of something here that makes the difference that makes you know and we're talking just one thousandth of a second but that is largely because of how mature these regulations are now like i said they've been pretty stable since 2014 we've had these rules the last time we had prior to that the last time there was a big rule change was 2009 and that really shuffled up the order that went from ferrari and uh, mclaren being like the teams winning at all time to uh, Braun GP, a team that came out of a bankrupt Honda team, winning the championship that year. And then afterwards, Red Bull dominated for four years after the best I think they'd had prior to that would be maybe a third in the championship. It really shuffled the deck there. And that's when you find the chances for innovations because the engineers aren't familiar with the regulations and they can push things and tweak things. Mm. But as it is now they have these very well-defined boxes and you can play within your box, but only a little bit. Mm, Okay. So the opportunity for a really great engineer engineering team who maybe doesn't have as much money to outthink money is not as available as it used to be. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Well, years gone by, I think the the boxes weren't they were non-existent, weren't they? Uh, well, well, it used to sure be that. not only it used to be not only were things much more open. You know, you could have different types of engines. You could have V8s, V6s, V12s, ah, V10s. Okay, so they've you could to have standardize it more and more. Well, you also had a situation where you could have uh, there was one team, Tyrrell, which had a six-wheel car. It had four wheels on the front, two wheels on the back. <laughs> you had another team which stuck a fan on the back of the car. That's what I'm talking okay. Because it would it suck now. the air out from under mm-hmm. it to give you downforce. That's you what had, I'm talking about, yeah. You, you had uh, other cars, uh, like before wings were everywhere, 
when they first started experimenting with wings, they were taking cars and just sticking wings everywhere just to see what happens. As time has gone on, the regulations have become more and more stringent mm. and, and kind of locked things down, largely in the interests of cost saving more than anything else, because we, we certainly in the 90s, it was a development arms race where yeah, they were just spending obscene that. amounts of money on the cars. Mm. That's interesting. OK, yeah. Well, it's just like we talked about before, you know, it's uh, it's it's. It's a balancing act, right? In 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 the hopes of making things safer and and maybe giving a little bit more equity to those who don't have as much money, they it does make it a little more boring in a sense, right? And it does. It, I could see it also stifling some innovation, which brings me to the ultimate regulation question which I need to understand, DRS. <laughs> Please explain Drag to me, is it just that, that the, it looks, it's like a button they push and it reduces drag by eliminating the piece of uh, fiberglass or whatever that is in there. What is that thing called on the back? A stinger or a, a wing? Wing, okay, and it just it so less air is block, so it's not blocking the air, right? And it makes you go faster. But then there's certain can, can zones. I this one else so, yeah, yeah. You guys, well, you, if you you, you're going to have to explain where this came from as well. Yeah, I was, I was. Uh, so, so, so before before we explain what DRS is, DRS is an answer to the problem I alluded to earlier with Formula One, in that cars cannot follow cars. You've, you've, you've seen that Days of Thunder, yeah? Yes. Yeah. You remember that intricate scene where yep. Tom Cruise, lying next to who, whatever her name is, explains the intricacies of slipstreaming. Oh, I using... do this when I'm driving on the highway. Exactly. So he explains that in, in order to, to pass, you need to position your car behind the other one. This allows the air to f effectively miss your car. It makes a hole in the air, and you can then pass it. You're not using as much power, and you can then accelerate past the other car. Watch Days of Thunder. Terrible film, great scene. Or oh, wait, no, terrible scene, great film. One of those two. But Formula One, because of all of this intricate aero devices and throwing all this dirty air, almost all of the downforce in Formula One comes from aerodynamics. And if you lose your aerodynamics, you lose your downforce and you can't get close to the car in front. Now, what the DRS is meant to do is it it stalls the rear wing effectively. It means your rear wing is no longer providing downforce. But because it's not no longer providing downforce, it's no longer providing drag, which in theory means you can go faster. So you can close up to that car and get past into the next corner. This came about because in 2010, was it? I think it's 12. The 12. Uh, M McLaren came up with this device called the F-duct. And the F-duct was a very clever device where if you positioned your knee just right in the cockpit, it would stop, it would block an air channel, which would then stall the rear wing and it gave you a bit of a speed boost. And the reason why this is important is in Formula One, you are not allowed um, to have movable aerodynamic surfaces. You can't have flaps and air brakes and things like that. You can only have static ones. But this was non-moving. This was all controlled by 
fluid dynamics. Um, there will be a link in the show notes that you can go and read at home. Anyway, and the FIA said that's very clever, but we're going to have to ban that because other teams don't have it and they can't apply it. And it, it was getting dangerous. You had some teams, I think Red Bull and Ferrari, where in order to store the rear wing, had to take a hand off a steering wheel to block an air hole. <laughs> so they're driving down these straights, one-handed, trying to get a pass. It was very dangerous. But they introduced... And sometimes what... no-handed because you had uh, <laughs> a, 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 a moment at Monza when Alonso had his hand covering the hole to create the F-duct and also changing dials on his steering wheel. So he had no hands on his steering wheel at over 200 miles an hour. Yes. It, it, it was, in a word, terrifying. So the FIA said... Okay, we need to we need to fix this problem, but they couldn't get everyone to agree to change the aerodynamics. This is something they've been arguing about for decades. So they decided to do the DRS, where you could push a button in a detection zone, and it would stall the rear wing and give you a few extra miles an hour down the straight to ideally allow you to get past. The problem is, is it it depends on the length of the straight and where the detection zone is because it's set up in such a way that you can only activate it if you're within a second of the car in front. Right. Uh, it, it, it is very much a band-aid for a severed limb problem. You know, it's like, well, it stick this on. Weird. Yeah. It, it, it is weird. But the rules next year are designed to address the fundamental problem. And although DRS will remain part of the rule set into next year, the hope is if these rules produce the desired effect, they will get rid of it. It's something no one really wants, but it was an attempt to address a fundamental problem with the sport. If you look at cars from 2008 and compare them to cars in 2009, this was the previous time they tried to fix this. The cars in 2008 have wings everywhere. There's little flicks and tricks and chimneys and everything on these cars. And they wanted to try and improve the aerodynamics and clean up the airflow. So they said, right, all the wings are going to go except for the front and rear wing. It's going to be skinny wings, no diffusers. And then Braun found a workaround and it all went to shit. But there you go. Uh, did I miss anything, Elton? Please, please you, you fill us no, in if I did. I, 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 th- I think you're right. Yeah. The, the, and the F-duct gets its name because uh, uh, McLaren, who came up with the F-duct, they didn't come up with the F-duct. They just came up with the duct. But because the inlet passage of the F-duct was next to an F in the Vodafone sponsor, it was then transferred as a F-duct. So that's where it gets its name from. But DRS, yeah, it is like a, a Band-Aid of a, a problem that is, is, it, is a major thing. But basically, yeah, you're opening up your, your wing to go faster in certain areas. And and that's what the zone is. That's what they mean when they say the DRS zone. You're allowed to use it here, but you also have to be within a second, right? That's yes. right, yes. Okay, so it's not that being within a second creates the DRS zone. It's you have to be within a second within this actual physical space. There's yeah. a line, and you have yes. to cross okay. that line within a second, which means in some instances, if you cross the line behind them, but pass them before the DRS, Entering you the can zone. use DRS, even though you've already passed the person. 
because you're in the zone or because you entered that way? Well, because because you were within DRS range when you entered ah, when you crossed the detection line. Okay, cool. When yep. you then enter the zone, you could use it. Interesting. Yeah, it just I found it to be quite interesting, and I have to. Oh, okay, I see what it actually is. And on the F1 channel, they did a good job of just like physically showing it, you know, how it works. And I was able to see that. But it did seem to me a rather uh, like a uh, 0.5 of what they really need to be doing to fix this issue. You know what I mean? Like a stopgap kind of like, I don't know, it just seemed rather strange and kind of attack on. That's exactly what it is, though. That is 100% what it is. I mean, in other sports like Formula E, they have, um, what's what's it called? Is it a fan zone? They have this this, terrible fan zone. Yeah. Jeez. In Formula E, they have this bit where if you go right, driving a certain part of the circuit at a certain point, you get a power boost to help you pass, which is just as ridiculous in my mind. But, you know, each, each onto their own. That's it's, like it's, um, it's, Mario. It's, that's like Mario Kart. Oh, it's one hundred percent. It is one hundred percent a Mario Kart thing, and that's just it, it. It's things that we don't particularly like. Interesting, but they are trying to address fundamental problems. But that's the hope with these new regulations coming in next year that will fix that. Okay. All right. All right. Well, man, we have covered so much. We've been talking for so long. Um, I could get into quali- – I have a couple of questions about qualifying, but I think I've actually, since I wrote those, I've done some more research and I understand now about qualifying and how it actually works. In the beginning, it was a bit hard to understand why everyone's on the track, but then certain people are doing their lap and certain people aren't. And then I guess it's basically – it's kind of like a dance that you have to understand what's happening and people are getting out of the way. And you just have to pay attention. And I think after paying attention, I understand it better. But it does – I sometimes I do wish at least um, – but I'm new to it. If I wasn't new to it, I'd be saying, why are they re-explaining this to me? I get it, you know. <laughs> but I'm understanding it. Um, I do want to say that I very much enjoyed the sprint race that they did earlier. And I know you guys had some different uh, – opinions and much more educated than me on how it affects but the sprint race as a qualifier i thought was kind of would kind of be and i know that's not really what they did but that i think that would be kind of interesting or maybe that is what they did but what do you what just to ask the one question is how do you if they changed it so the sprint race was the qualifier what are the good parts about that and what are the bad parts about that to you? Um, I, I think it's good that we're trying stuff. I think, I think it's, it's good to experiment. Uh, I'm, I'm still on the fence of it. I have opinions of it not being part of the qualifying. I actually, I can't remember. No, it not, not being part of the qualifying. Um, because it it felt disjointed from the weekend itself. It's it's like um, imagine I'm trying to think. Do you have like a, a the equivalent of five aside in in uh, NFL at all? 
uh, where there's no where there's less players on the field or something. Yeah, so no, our no. our eleven aside uh, Premier League would have you, you, you can have like a five aside, so you have five players per per um, yeah. per team going on no, it. They don't so do that. okay, well, yeah, it's there's something there that works, but for me, it's not quite the finished article. But that's fine because we have to go through these things to to find out what works and what doesn't work. If we don't try it, then we don't know, do we? So Yeah, it just it's, seemed a bit more like um uh maybe not not only easier to understand, but it just seemed like a little less hectic or it just seems like when they're doing the qualifying, it's like, okay, this guy's doing their lap. And then you're like, what's happening? And then, I don't know, it just seemed a little bit more straightforward to me. But then mm. again, I'm new coming into this, and I could be missing the intricacies of why running qualifying is important to knowing the car or the engine or, you know what I, I mean, I, the track. Yeah, I, I think that is it. that could be it because I've had 20-plus years of watching this sport and and then all of a sudden qualifying's reduced to a, a mini race. I'm like, well, hang on. There's an integrity of qualifying. There's something gladiatorial about going around the track and being the fastest in that I one see. lap. Yep. And now they've removed that. So it, it's yeah, it's there's something there, but it's it it's not what I want. Yeah, I understand the event aspect too, because one of the things I really enjoy about Formula One is that it is like the racing weekend, right? And you have mm. the the practicing and the qualifying and then the race. And I think that anytime you change something that people have become accustomed to, you know, it can be difficult. And sometimes you don't understand the way you, like you say, you're changing the integrity. How did you feel about it, Andy? Much like Elton, I was kind of happy. To, you know, I'm, I'm always up for a bit of experimentation, you know. It's, it's, it's time to try, you know. Might be a bit strange at first, a bit weird, a bit uncomfortable even. But, you know, you relax, get into it a little bit more. You find out, yeah, actually, I'm into this. Yeah, I can go with it. Take some deep breaths. <laughs> deep breaths definitely help, you know. Um, just remember to keep it clean. Uh, oh, sorry, what were we talking about? Sprint racing. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, I'm not opposed to it. I don't think what they did worked. Because much like uh, Elton, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of qualifying. It, it's, it's something that I don't think needed fixing. And I don't particularly think um, that what they're doing now spiced it up any more than it would already have been. You know, I think the grid we got for the race at the end of a sprint race was pretty much a standard grid. One of the things that was being mooted last year was the use of a reverse grid for a sprint race. And once more, we're back to the old chestnut of why can't the cars overtake? The cars can't overtake because the engineers don't want to have the cars overtake. And they don't want to do that because they want their car to qualify in the fr- at, the, at the front or as close to the front as they can and then just disappear. Yeah. If you have a reverse grid vote, you will force the engineers to consider that the fastest car will have to be able to overtake slower cars just by the nature of there's a reverse grid race. You have to be able to get from the back further up to the front. And I was very much in favor of that. But the the teams were not because they were worried about cars being damaged. And as we've seen in a, in a period of uh, budget caps and austerity, 
there's always the why that it's going to cost you a lot of money and ruin your entire weekend. So there's a kernel of a good idea in there, but we haven't quite gotten to it yet. I'm glad they're sticking with it. I'm glad they haven't tried it once, said that worked or that didn't work, and then make a decision. They're going to try it on a few other races, and we'll see. I am I'm what you could call sprint curious. Interesting. <laughs> sprint curious. Maybe you'll find your unicorn. Um, that's, I like that. That's cool. Okay. So I think I kind of understood that and I do enjoy the qualifying because I think it also gives an opportunity to hear people talk about the cars and the race. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit, it, the, um, the kind of tone of it, I find to be a little bit more investigatory, relaxed, then you're right. It's just like race, 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 you know, um, mm-hmm. even though the racing is fun. And I just have to call out that what, what was it the last race when, yeah, right. When Hamilton started by himself and then had to pit and then I switched on to his camera and watching him, I watched almost the entire race just through his camera but listening to the call which is another great thing on the f1 channel you can switch between the rate here the audio between the racer and the pit or the call that they're giving and so you can kind of mix it up and watching him overtake people was so fucking exciting like it was so exciting i'm getting like excited just talking about it. it was so cool and i just knew i was like okay he's got to move up i'm gonna watch him pass everybody so the talk that we're having of how overtaking is so important to the race is something that I think is communicated very well through the fans and through the people talking about it, how important that is to it. Um, all right. I got a couple more questions. Then we're out. This is a really easy one. Why do they always squiggle? Squiggle. On the way to the grid. Yeah. Like why do they always squ- like go back and forth? You know, like it's warming up. Warming up brakes and tyres because uh, the brakes require heat because they're ceramic brakes. They need heat in – well, carbon. It's carbon or ceramic. Anyway, they need heat in them for the brakes to function, and they need to get tyres at certain temperatures and pressures. So by doing the squiggling, uh, they are encouraging heat to get into the tyres and the brakes, which is why sometimes when they get to the grid, if they've done too much of that, their brakes catch fire. Yes. Okay. Now I understand. Very cool. And they also always cover the tires before they put them on. That's to keep them warm. Yeah. Tire warmers. It's something they've been trying to ban for several years, but they have yet to succeed. I don't know. Are they banned for next year? I think they might be actually. There was talk about trying to do it because they've got lower profile tires. So you don't need as much power to generate the heat in the cars in in the tires so the the cars should be able to handle it themselves but i don't know if they've actually banned them or not interesting okay that is really cool and the tires themselves are so i when i first saw it's like they just they look like they're shot like they didn't look like they'd grip anything it's like something it's so future it just it's it, it adds to the futurism of the sport that I like, too, because sometimes you see the grooves in the tire, like, I guess, when it's raining, right? And they need, mm-hmm. But then generally, they look like, when they start out, they're, like, shiny. Oh, they're very slick because they come out of chrome molds, so they're incredibly shiny when they're brand new. It's really cool. 
Yeah, it's like when you pull out a cupcake out of one of these silicon <laughs> molds. It looks shiny underneath. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. on there. It's just because it, that's the mold. That's really that, that's interesting. That's how it happens. Yeah. But, yeah, some would say even, even the, the tires that they do make have no grip, especially the wet ones. They're crap. But that's, that's another story. And yeah. that's um, – and okay, which brings me to my final question about the tires. Every race, they – so they decide you can only use these type of tires. It's just like everything else, the engine, the this, the that. They limit it to a selection. And there's always all these questions about which tires to use. Has it always been like that? Or now I guess I'm learning it didn't. That that comes from regulation. Mm. Yeah. Go on, man. Go on. Well, I was going to say uh, a few years ago. So, oh, okay. So Formula One traditionally has had multiple tire competitors in there. So you'd have, I don't know, Goodyear and yeah. someone else. Uh, and then for the longest time, it was Bridgestone and Michelin. But there was some controversy around 2005. And in the fallout from that, they mandated a single tyre supplier, which was Pirelli. And Pirelli make a number of different types of tyre uh, tire compounds. Um, and it used to be you'd have them turn up and they say, well, this week you've got the options of the hard or the mediums or the soft or the super soft or the hyper soft. And they all had these different colours. It got very confusing. So now what they do is they say they only ever bring a hard, medium, and soft tyre, but it could be made up from different compounds. So one week, the hard tyre might be the soft tyre from another week, you see? Mm -hmm. And then the medium tyre would be the super soft, and the soft tyre would be the hyper soft. And what what you have is Pirelli, Pirelli nominate the compound for the racers, and then the teams in advance can say how many of the various compounds they want. So you're allowed a certain number of tyres for the event. And you can say, let's say for easy maths, that you can have 10 tyres. So they could turn around and say, OK, then, well, we want five of the soft tyres. We want two of the medium tyres. We want three hard tyres. Interesting. OK. OK. That's, and then that's cool. That, 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 that might be what Red Bull goes with. But Mercedes might say they want three soft tyres, five medium tyres and too hard tires you know so that's kind of how the tire allocations go it's a little bit more complicated because they have to give tires back after qualifying and practice and when it gets involves the rain that's even more confusing but in in its nutshell the regulations state that in a dry race they must race with two different tires a prime and an option but you can choose which of the two it can be yeah that's interesting okay I get that. Yeah, I see. Because in the beginning, it was just, I didn't, I was like, I don't understand why can't they just use another tire or something? But it makes sense. And now I'm beginning to understand the sport in general, too, the way in which the regulations and the rules play into, like you like you had said, Andy, finding the minutia in it of how you can win, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that... I can see the aspect of people being upset at that, but also from an artistic perspective, I've always been a fan of 
the um, obstructing yourself in order to create. You know what I mean? So I can understand the way that these obstructions are both frustrating to both to the teams and the viewers and the fans, but also it presents an uh, a box, as you could say, to create in, right? Um, so I can understand that too, and especially with when you're dealing with safety and all that kind of stuff, and people giving billions of dollars to each other, <laughs> which probably has a lot more to do with it, right? Like yep. we'll pay to be the tire people. Um, that's cool. All right. Well, gosh, man, I have talked your ears off and you guys have been amazing. We've been talking for like almost two and a half hours here. Um, I'm going to let it's you stand and corn free episode, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, I know. I started this by saying, guys, I want to keep you about an hour. Um, so I really appreciate your patience and your time. Is there anything that um, you all wanted to say that you wanted to talk about? Oh, anything I want to say. Don't get into it for the crashes. That's what I would recommend. It, crashes do happen, and sometimes they're well, they sometimes they're exciting, and sometimes they're bad. And uh, yeah, just don't get into it for that. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the the joy of the sport itself, and not for. Not for smacking people off, and and for because one one day you'll cheer a crash, and it'll be the wrong one to cheer, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll forever feel bad. So uh, yeah. don't get into it for that. Get into it for the for the passion of the sport, and and for the actual speed and the adrenaline, and and the the, the pantomime thing of it as well. So uh, yeah, that's all I would say, Mr. Andy. I mean, I, I think I would say if if you're interested in getting into Formula One, Drive to Survive is a good intro point because it will introduce you to, in very broad strokes, the basics of the sport. But just bear in mind that it is a certain amount of fiction into it. Some races are better than others, and you know if 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 you if you want to get into the sport, and maybe this is a deck chairs episode, we can do it. How to get someone into Formula One? Uh, there was there were, there were some races which are better to watch than others, uh, and, and the bad races, you know, uh, it, it, it helps if you can find something you enjoy in it. You know, it, it's it's a play which plays out over an entire season. It's not just you know down to the race. So, I, I think it's definitely one of those ones to it. Once you get bitten by the bug, you're kind of on board for it regardless. Um, and, yeah, it's, I don't know, listen to a podcast. Ours, maybe. Yeah. Well, this, <laughs> uh, this podcast we just did. It's a good introduction for people. And I think, yeah, I, I like Drive to Survive. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've come to find out that they mixed a lot of the drama and and put things before the other and create and that's but i expected that you know what i mean i i mean i know i'm watching a uh a heavily produced dramatic the worst bit is though you know? there was so much actual drama that happened last year which they just ignored uh, yeah honestly last year's drive to survive feels like they had the storylines written out 
and then just cut the stuff to it. And all this amazing stuff was happening at the same time, and they just ignored it. They do the same it thing. Was, there's, ah. there's several NFL. Now Amazon has – there's hard knocks on HBO where they follow an NFL team in training camp. And even though there's super interesting things to do – Every year they just pick some schmuck and they spend half the time telling you how great he is and then he gets cut before the season starts. Like, but just the same way they're following their producer script, you know. Yeah, but, Amazon had the same thing over here with um, Man City and Tottenham as well. They're, I watch that. Very, yeah, I watch yeah. that. But I, I would, uh, for Drive to Survive, there's one moment which encapsulates it perfect for me, and there's there's a race in Ab- in um, is it Abu Dhabi? I think it was. Hulkenberg got flipped over upside down, and his car ended up pinned against the wall upside down. And when I was watching it live, it was oh he's upside down, okay. And then there was radio messages, and then they got him out, and then that was it. But the way that Drive to Survive did it was, oh, he's been flipped upside down. Drama, skids and stuff like that. Sparks everywhere. Dum, 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 dum. Cut to pit wall. <laughs> yeah. Nico, you okay, can you hear Nico? me? Are you okay, Nico? No response. Marshall's I running towards that. him. I remember it. It's like, come on, man. I've watched this. What, is, yeah. what are you trying to show me? Well, this that isn't Hollywood. Right? That was for Americans to and other people to get into it. But I know that's frustrating when they do that. But I think that the one, I will give it credit for, um, concentrate. I like the way that they give you little histories of the drivers and let you get to know them and stuff. So there are aspects of it that I found interesting, but I totally agree with you. That's why, even though this is a TV podcast, generally, I was like, let's not spend the whole time talking about that because it's much like hard knocks or the, um, what is it called? All in or something I think is the Amazon one. Um, I think so. Yeah. Where they, where they just, yeah, they over dramatize things and they, they mix the timeline up to create more drama. But generally speaking, I think your podcast, you guys do do a great job of talking about things because, and I've noticed this in general with a lot of the Formula One stuff is people do have like a heart about it, right? And they talk about the driver and the team and there's a person in that car, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you said about the the watching it for crashes or anything. I know that can become very popular in NASCAR in America and stuff like that. And that's, yeah, that was never, I'm not, I hope nobody crashes. It's much more exciting to me when people are at their best racing each other and overtaking each other. Or, um, I'm watching this Monica one where they couldn't get the tire off of Botas's car. <laughs> like, when stuff like that happens, that's interesting, you know, and exciting. I don't mm-hmm. need to see anybody get hurt um, because that, like we started out talking about, the one thing about this sport is that is they are going really fast. They are just like encased in metal and steel and gasoline, and it's very dangerous. You know, that's what makes it fun. But I, I would never want to see anybody crash. I like to see people win and have fun and there's a good spirit about it. And I hope people who are listening to this and we're coming to the end. I hope you enjoyed it. Long podcast, but great stuff. I am jazzed. I'm going to 
watch more races and we've got a long break here until the end of uh, August, right? I think the 28th or something, or I don't know when yep. the next race Summer is. break. Yeah. Which sucks too, because I was, I didn't know that was happening and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I can watch formula one every weekend until football starts. And now there's a break and it starts just <laughs> just before football, but I'm going to yep. have a, I'm going to have a tough choice here because I am obsessed. I like watch every NFL game. Like you said, Elton, I can watch an NFL game that other people would say is boring and I'll love it because yep. of the minutia of it. And they, 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 they did like this play or this defense for that offense. I find it really interesting, but, um, you know, I have a long time now to get to catch up on the races that happened earlier this season and also your podcast, which I've been going back and listening to and and listening about the history of Formula One. So thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming on the show. This has been amazing and fun. It's always a pleasure. Please go out, everyone. I'm going to put the links to your pods, of course, as I always do and become a patron like I am. Yeah, yeah. Head over to Patreon. It, it keeps our lights on. And uh, every two weeks you get a, a, a special, super special episode of Deck Chairs and Dirty Air to fill your, your earplugs. So, uh, yeah, go out and help us out. Thank you very much. Do it, baby. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a great evening. I know it's much later over there. I'm going to go start making dinner. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And downloading, much appreciated, dvrpodcast.com. Peace out, everyone.